This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. We're thrilled today to be joined by a leader from Advent Health, Dr. Neil Finkler, who has had just a remarkable career. He's retiring shortly. Uh, before he retires, we thought we'd take a chance, an opportunity today to talk through some of what he has seen, some of his accomplishments. He, he ended his career as the chief clinical officer at Advent Health, a, a magnificent and emerging great health system. He also founded their, onco- uh, their gynecological oncology program and fellowship program, uh, and, and, and it's had just a magnificent career. Dr. Finger, we're going to talk to you today about your career, about what Advent Health looked like 30 years ago, uh, and, and a lot more. Can you take a moment to introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about your career, your education, your career at Advent Health, and more? Sure. Well, thanks for the opportunity. I certainly appreciate it and uh, I've appreciated speaking with Beckers uh, throughout the years. So thank you for this opportunity. Uh, so I, uh, I completed my medical education at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York City, now the Carl Icahn School of Medicine, uh, and uh, did my internship and residency in obstetrics and gynecology uh, at uh, Brigham and Women and Mass General. They were a combined program back in the early 80s. I did that from 82 to 1986, and in between 1986 and 1988, I completed a gynecologic oncology fellowship at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. I stayed on staff for another two years, then moved down to Boston University Medical Center for a two-year stint and started their gynecologic oncology program before moving to Advent Health, then Florida Hospital in 1992. Uh, and I was brought here uh, to start a gynecologic oncology uh, program uh, in an area that was just building up its oncology and cancer presence. Uh, I did that and stayed uh, active and led the program until 2010. Uh, and in uh, 2010, I became the chief medical officer for our large employed group of physicians. Did that for four years, then moved to become the chief medical officer for the quaternary hospital within our region, uh, now Advent Health Orlando, a 1,400-bed quaternary facility. Uh, did that until, uh, until 2016 uh, when I uh, moved over and became the chief clinical officer for the Central Florida Division of Advent Health as well as the chief medical officer. Uh, so lots of different roles over the, over the career, particularly different roles in the career both clinical as well as administrative, and it's certainly been interesting on both ends of, uh, of that career. I'm going to ask you the, this, this afternoon an, a number of relatively serious questions about your career achievements, gynecological oncology, and more, but, but I want to start with the following question. 30 years ago or so, 31 years ago, you moved from the Northeast, you know, Brigham Women's Children, Mount Sinai, you know, New York, Boston, it's part of the very start of what seems like this huge migration to Florida 30 years ago. And now it seems like there's a bigger migration from the Northeast than ever to Florida. What was it like for you originally 30 plus years ago moving to Florida? Was that a culture change? Was that, was that a big change for you? How did you approach that? Uh, so the answer is yes, it was a big culture change. I came out of major academic medical centers where the vast, vast majority of individuals that worked in practice within the facility were academically based. 
and I moved to a facility where I was the number two employed physician at a facility and quite frankly, in a space where most people uh, viewed the facility as the workshop. And what I mean by that is these were mostly private practitioners uh, who utilized the hospital facilities to make their living and would typically tell the hospital what to do, where to do, when to do, why to do, and how to do it. And the threat always being that if you didn't do it my way, I was going to move my book of business elsewhere. Uh, And what I've watched over the ensuing now 30-plus years uh, is a morph away from this purely private model uh, to what I lovingly call the private-demic model. Uh, So Advent Health Orlando now is a combination of employed individuals, Uh, as well as those that have private practice uh, aspirations. Uh, When I came here 31 years ago, the only uh, academic teaching program that they had uh, was a DO family practice residency. Uh, And now we have every major GME um, uh, residency that you can think of uh, and several fellowships, including the Gynecologic Oncology Fellowship, uh, that I founded back in the uh, the mid '90s. So we've watched this this morph from a purely private model to a private demic model, which, quite frankly, I think has got the best of both worlds, uh, because you have high functioning, high producing clinicians, but you also have those that are pursuing the academic pursuits, making sure that we teach the next generation of of the individuals who, quite frankly, are going to be responsible for taking care of us. Uh, and making sure that we advance the field through uh, through research, through innovation, and through creative ideas. Uh, so it's been a, a dramatic change. I will tell you that um, you know I, I do believe that that uh, our experience with the COVID pandemic has really escalated a lot of what we do in medicine. And what I mean by that is is that medicine tended to evolve very very slowly pre-pandemic. It would take us years to learn how to change what we did. It would take us years to understand what's the best practice, what's the evidence-based medicine. And I think the COVID pandemic forced all of us in medicine to recognize that, A, we couldn't wait. We had to innovate. We had to take some chances when we were innovating because none of us had ever seen this pandemic before. The, The information was evolving at a rate that I, quite frankly, have never never saw before, and it required us within the field of medicine to react just as quickly. And I think one of the great things that will come out of the pandemic is the fact that we all learned in medicine to be far more nimble and far more capable of, of changing when necessary. Uh, there are a lot of other things that I think will benefit us as a result of that, but I think the biggest thing out of the COVID pandemic is this is this ability to change and be nimble, uh, unlike what we've ever seen before. Thank you very, very much. I mean, the gynecological oncology program and fellowship program at Advent Health has really grown into national prominence. Talk a bit about some of the achievements in your career that you're most proud of and, and how some of those achievements impact the medical community now. What are you sort of most proud of when you look back? I think from my clinical years at Advent Health, I mean, I'm really proud of the fact that uh, I came and founded a program uh, that really brought state-of-the-art care in in gynecologic cancers to a population that, quite frankly, wasn't being treated 
state of the art. The majority of women in my community when I got here were actually leaving the community to get care elsewhere. Uh, and we began, I began the program and very quickly brought on a partner and then two and eventually we grew to, to uh, five individuals that really provided high, high quality, uh, state of the art care to the population that to this day still, still needs that care and gets that care uh, from my old practice. But it wasn't just the clinical practice that I'm really proud of. I, I'm also proud of the fact that even during the early days and the early formation of the oncology program, uh, I certainly was dedicated to the notion that, number one, whatever we did was going to have to involve research because the way we move the field, particularly in cancer, is that we provide, we do research, both clinical as well as some non-clinical uh, bench research. When I mean non-clinical, I mean bench research, where we actually make discoveries and move the field fo forward uh, and also bring on a gynecologic oncology fellowship uh, because we, I certainly believe then and still do today that it's our responsibility to train the individuals that are going to take care of the next generation. So I, I think from the standpoint of where we've been uh, in GYN oncology, uh, my group published and still to this day publishes uh, multiple articles a year. Uh, we were at and still remain at uh, you know every major meeting. Uh, presenting data that we've published. Uh, our fellowship is uh, is a known fellowship where our fellows are also publishing. And I think the other thing I'm really proud of in, in the G1 oncology realm is the notion that we had to innovate and continue to push the field forward. Uh, and one, perhaps the greatest example and the greatest thing that we brought to this community uh, was the use of robotics in gynecologic cancer. We were the one of the very, very early, early adopters uh, to robot, the robotic platform, uh, and we very quickly learned that the robotic platform had a role in gynecologic cancer patients, and we published, uh, you know, uh, quite prolifically on the role of uh, of uh, robotics in gynecologic cancer. Uh, my, uh, my my old partners to this day are. Uh, continue to be at the forefront of robotics, taking the early days of robotics and moving it forward uh, to look at things like how do we do single port robotics? Uh, what's the best population that should get robotics? Who shouldn't get robotics? Uh, and they've just done a great job and the community continues to benefit uh, from the outstanding work that we started and the outstanding work that my old group continues to perform. I think they've got some of the best um, uh, five-year survivals as a result of the work that they do. And clearly, one of the things that I'm most proud of is the fact that this program uh, continues to offer the highest level of care to the populations we're fortunate to serve. Thank you. T take a moment, and you've had this magnificent leadership career, both as sort of a, a, a researcher and a leader and a practitioner. I mean, really a remarkable career. Talk for a moment about how much has changed in the last three decades, what you've seen, you know, a couple highlights, and then what do you expect over the next 10 years or so? And then we'll catch it off by asking, what do you expect at Advent Health over the next, you know, the next several years too? But, but generally about medicine, what are, you, what are the big changes you've watched over the last 30 years? And you talked about some of it already, sort of this merging of private practice and academic medic, medicine. And what do you see over the next few years? 
Yeah, it's a, it's um, it's great, and it's it's hard to compact it all into uh, into short bites here. But let me try. Uh, so I think over the 30 years that I've watched, um, I've seen uh, medicine, particularly within the, the system I practice, uh, really morph into a system who's highly now now highly focused on uh, safety and quality, who's highly focused on the value proposition that we bring, who's highly focused on the areas of clinical excellence. Um, and who's highly focused on becoming a highly reliable organization. Uh, so l- let me parse some of that for you. Uh, so the, the safety and quality is clearly a journey that we have been on. You know, at the end of the day, we all take an oath to do no harm. But the reality is that in medicine, we occasionally do do harm. So what systems and, and operations do we have in place to make sure that we get to a place where we are the safest that we can be, and we perform the highest quality that we can. This is a journey, uh, and it's a journey that will require all of our attention on a daily basis. I've watched us go from almost ignoring this to where it's now in the forefront of almost everything that we do. And then how do we get to a culture of safety and a culture of high reliability? And what I mean by that culture of high reliability, it's really when do we, where do we get to the point and when do we get to the point where we've developed effective teams that have a voice that can identify defects and fix these defects before they get to the end user, the end person, i.e. the patient. Um, and obviously, this is also a journey, uh, but we've got to figure out how do we reduce all these risks and fix the defects as we go along in order to achieve our goal, which is, quite frankly, zero harm. Um, another area that, that I think has really been fascinating for me to watch is our journey toward clinical excellence. Uh, and within our institution, our corporate uh, partners have really set the bar for us with regards to how do we define clinical excellence. So in our institutions, our North Star for clinical excellence is the CMS star rating, the leapfrog rating, as well as uh, premier mortality. And our expectations that we will be either four or five star in in the CMS ratings, that we will obtain a leapfrog A rating, and that our premier mortality, our O over ER, observed over expected, will be in the top quartile. I'm really pleased to say that our Central Florida division has achieved those goals. We have still have opportunities within each one of these areas. But we've achieved those goals, which has really been an amazing journey, and it's taken our entire clinical team in order to uh, you know, achieve these lofty goals. Um, we still know that we have plenty of work to do. Uh, we do know that uh, our workforce has uh, created some opportunities for us, not just for us in Florida, uh, but across the board and across the country. For example, we know that we can do better in our hospital-acquired infections particularly things like our central line-associated bloodstream infections and our urinary catheter-associated urinary tract infections. These are areas that we'll continue to work on, uh, have had an enormous impact as a result of the COVID uh, pandemic, but we're starting to see those those, uh, items improve as we start to emerge from the COVID pandemic. Um, I think the, the, the final area that I have watched change is that when I started uh, in 
in Advent Health and even at the Brigham 30, now 40 years ago, um, the whole concept of bringing value uh, really was never discussed. And if you divide, define value as the quality over the cost, what we're really talking about is how do we improve the quality of the product that we that we put out at the same time reducing the cost so that the value proposition to those that pay the bills is such that they'll want to continue to use our services. Um, and this is now front and center with regards to what we're doing I've, I have chaired an entire clinical value transformation team over the last two years where we are now taking projects and looking at ways to improve quality outcomes and reducing costs. Uh, we are soon going to embark on a sepsis clinical value transformation. Uh, sepsis is our number one diagnosis. It's also the number one cause of mortality in every hospital across the country. We have lots of opportunities to improve uh, the processes involved, and we believe the outcomes as well. And that's just one of the projects that we're embarked on. But again, if I look back five and 10 years ago, we never even talked about the whole concept of value uh, and what's that value proposition to those that pay. And this really kind of gets, I think, into, into the bottom line of really from a standpoint of clinical excellence, um, you know, wh where do we stand uh, that that um, so that we can deliver the best care possible uh, at the lowest cost possible. What does the future look like is really very, very interesting. Um, clearly, one of the things we learned during COVID is that there is a role for technology. Uh, we saw digital health, things like uh, home health care, now hospital at home, we saw virtual care take off, and in fact, the vast majority of the care we provided, at least on the outpatient basis during COVID, was virtual. Uh, we're, uh, we've obviously all moved to a digital uh, health record. Uh, so I think the technology is going to continue to play a role, and we're going to see more and more use of technology as we move forward. Uh, I will say that I, you know, there's been a lot of talk over the years about um, artificial intelligence, machine learning, machine reasoning. Um, and up until very recently, I really wasn't sure that I was a buyer of it. Um, I have been playing with uh, the OpenAI chat GPT, as I'm sure many docs have and many, many individuals have. Uh, and the more I've played with things like the availability of what's out there now in, with regards to AI, the more I think that AI and machine learning and machine reasoning will play a role as we move forward. If for nothing else, it will actually allow us uh, to have individuals that actually do function at the top of their license. If you really start to think about what we do every day in the clinical practice of medicine that could easily be done by, through a chatbot or a machine that learns and reasons, you start to think about that would alleviate a lot of the uh, the, the, some processes that, quite frankly, we have individuals doing today that may not necessarily need to do that tomorrow. And probably the two that come to my mind the, the quickest uh, are the nurses that have to do all the intake forms on patients that get admitted uh, and the whole topic in the whole area of med uh, medicine reconciliation. You know, MedRec remains the bane of a lot of my docs. I hear about it every day. 
it's difficult to do. Many systems, and we've piloted as well, going to uh, some of our uh, respir- uh, our um, pharmacy and pharmacy techs to help with it. But you start to think about tech- using technology in order to improve things like this that will then alleviate some of the burden on the workforce today uh, with regards to what they need to do on a daily basis. So if I can get a nurse doing more of the nursing things rather than the paperwork things, uh, obviously it's a win for everybody. So I do think as we emerge, what we're, what we're going to see is uh, medicine take on more of a role and start to learn where the roles of technology can be applied to alleviate some of the burdens that we see. Uh, I think that one of the biggest issues that medicine's going to face is what we've all faced during the pandemic, and that's the whole issue of workforce. I think workforce issues from both the nursing standpoint, the doc standpoint, and as well as the non-clinical standpoint really remains a big item that we're going to have to understand and be innovative and creative if we're going to move forward with regards to the demands on what we have today. Um, you know, I think about um, those that are at the bedside today, um, they have different expectations. They have different work expectations than my generation. Uh, and, um, and I'm not saying my generation was right or wrong. It's just that they're different. Uh, and, and there's going to be a need to reconcile that. From the doc standpoint, we have many physicians today that want to do, um, um, you know, a shift work. They're not interested in doing some of the work that requires intense hours. Uh, there's, there, we've got a generation now that's been trained uh, in an era of shift limitations uh, put on them during their training. Um, and, and again, I'm not here to put a value judgment on it. I'm just saying that uh, this is not a generation that's going to work uh, two days to get work done. Um, so if you really think about replacing somebody of my generation with a new generation coming out of training today, uh, you're going to need more. It's more than a one-to-one replacement. And the reality is we don't have those bodies. So getting back to what I said earlier, how do we make sure that the workforce that we have is able to function at the top of the license? And is there a role for technology to allow that to happen? Uh, and improve both the quality as well as the quantity of what we're getting. So I think there's lots of challenges ahead, uh, but I think the beautiful thing is that that we've got a, a, a group of young, talented people in healthcare today, uh, and they're, they will figure out how we move forward. Uh, and um, I'm really quite uh, hopeful for the future uh, and confident that they'll be able to do this and, and bring us to where we need to be. Thank you very much. I mean, it's really a, a mix of technology and people to solve these problems going forward, particularly when you change this from, you know, one physician working 70 hours a week to, to five physicians working 90 hours a week. I mean, it's a very different world, and that goes throughout the entire workforce, this, this way you balance and mix up work and shift work and so forth. I want to ask you one more question, Dr. Finkler, if you'll let me. It, 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 the question is this. I, I always look at people that have been one place for 30-plus years almost like Cal Ripken or Lou Gehrig and so forth. And I think what are the qualities that allows a person to thrive at the same institution for 30 years? And, and I always premise that there's at least two things that the person has to have. They got to be very good at what they do, quite competent, 
And then they have to be likable. If you're going to be at the same place for 30 years and continue to thrive. Give me a second, your take on that. Because you, you've, been, uh, you've been there for 30 plus years. As you've seen the world change, less and less people stay at the same institution for 30 plus years. What are the qualities that allow somebody to thrive at one place for 30 plus years? Can, can you give me a couple moments on that or any thoughts there? Sure. And uh, it's, uh, it's really a great question. I, th- I think within the field that I'm in, in medicine, I think the, probably one of the most important things is the, the physicians need to know that I'm out to help them. I'm here to have their back. I'm here to show them how to play the game because the rules of the game change all the time. And if we, for example, if we now have to start thinking about what does the value proposition mean, so how do we get there? Um, how do I take you on the journey that we all need to go on? And how do I explain the why behind it? You know, physicians are, are really uh, at the core, uh, really want to understand the why behind everything that they're being asked to do. Uh, and probably one of the biggest uh, the biggest things I teach some of my my young clinical uh, administrators is uh, don't be afraid to tell the docs no if if that's the question uh, and that, if that's the answer to the question they're they're asking. Uh, but what they want is the why behind the no. And if you've got a cogent why, they'll get it and they'll move on. Uh, so I do think it's it's you've got the physicians have to know that you're on their side that you're watching out for what they need to know and helping them get to achieve what they need to know. It does help uh, from the clinical side if there's respect for what you clinically bring to the table as well. So it's not just what you bring from an administrative standpoint. They need to know that you're clinically above reproach as well. Because if you're going to talk about how do we achieve excellence, and what does it mean to be a leapfrog five star and how to uh, leap, leapfrog a rather or a CMS five star facility? They want to know that you are capable of making that journey yourself. Uh, so there's, there's, a, there's a lot of that as well. But at the end of the day, I, I really do think it comes down to the trust factor. They need to trust that you've got their back um, and to understand that the world changes what do I need to know today? What do I need to know tomorrow? Um, and I think it's really, some people make this far more complicated than it needs to be, um, but it really is in the end quite simple. Um, be honest, be upfront, be truthful, um, and tell them what they need to hear, not what they think they need to hear. Dr. Finkler, I think just remarkable. Thank you very much. This concept of you have to have credibility in your own professional skills. They need to know that you have their back. They need to trust you, and it has to be earned and and a lot more. I want to thank you, not just for the podcast today, but what a remarkable career in general and at Advent Health particularly. Congratulations on a magnificent career, and thank you for joining us today on the Factors Healthcare Podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Thank you again for having me, and it's been my pleasure. Thank you.